I take their thing and you pay. Okay. You set it up. Okay. So now okay. we know the reason who, now we know who has it registered. That's why usually <laughs> print six. I know like, you know, Zach and Elizabeth and Nathan and Ben. I hope ben, I'm one of them. So, done. I said that. Okay, good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, welcome everyone. Um, today's class is going to be a little, bit, a little bit different from what we've been learning this past month. Although the, the, the classes that we've been having for the past five months, five, six months, was that between each first Fridays, so um, it, between each first Friday um, event that we have in the community, we have a certain topic that we choose, we have a certain uh, idea that we dive into. Um, so we've been doing that for the past few months. We learned about marriage, we learned about relationships, about, um, prayer. about, about prayer. prayer, we learned about um, su success. So we, so we were learning about success. Today should have been the fourth class, but since we are before Shavuos, and I also want to see if this different method or this different uh, setup of learning is um, more interesting to you guys, so that's why we are kind of having a different uh, booklet. But everything is Torah, and everything is, is worth learning. So let's just dive, dive into it. Um, we are a few days away from Shavuot. Shavuot is the day that God, God gave the Torah. And was not only the, a transaction that happened in that first day, it was a whole um, internal or spiritual component that happened in Jewish history. But that was basically, it's our Independence Day. It's the day that the Jewish nation, the Jewish people went from being a, a family, because that's what a Jewish people were essentially, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the tribes and all the people who were in Egypt. They were never a country. They were never a, a, a people who... A nation. A nation, thank you. They were never a nation. They were a family, a tribe, a lot of tribes. Until Shavuot. Shavuot is when God gave the Torahs, when God said, um, you become a nation, you become a nation in the sense that now we have something added to you. And what, that's, what is that added component that we have as a nation is that we got the Torah of the relationship with Hashem. Jewish people and Hashem are considered as a bride and groom, as a husband and a wife. And the same way as there is a transaction that happened between a husband and a wife when they get married, specifically giving of the ring or the ketuvah, which is a, a document. So the same thing is what happened in... Matan Torah is what happened between the Jewish people and God. So, if you see right away at the beginning, the, the cover of the page says, beauty is vain. And, you know, it might be referring to, or not only referring, this is the beginning, as, we, as, as the, as the um, cover says, each Friday night, as a family gathers around the Shabbat table, we sing Eshet Chayil, the art of Jewish woman. And... Towards the end, the verse says, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. We declare in its closing. So we're going to dive into what exactly it means and how that is connected to Shavuot. What that has to do with coming close and celebrating Shavuot. So you guys familiar with this line in Eshet Chayil? You guys familiar with Eshet Chayil in the first place? Concept, yes. Concept. Are you guys familiar with the Shalom Aleichem that we sing? Okay. Yeah? Okay. And then you're guys familiar sometimes after we're finishing them singing Shalom Aleichem, I'll just say something like really fast. And we're not singing all together? Okay, Elizabeth is saying yes. Okay, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm basically saying is the Eshet Chayil is a less known song, less known. It's not as popular as Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem, everyone knows, everyone sings. Eshet Chayil, 
Um, it should be, in my opinion, should be even more than, I don't know if more, but at, at least the same level of it as Eshet Chayel. Eshet Chayel is the time that where the, where the dedicates to the woman of the house, to the mother, to the wife, and the, the whole day of Shabbat is a feminine energy. Um, we're not getting really into it now, but the difference between male and female and, and, and male, according to Kabbalah, is that one is action and one is nurture. Men, or, or the, the masculine energy is about action, and that's usually represented in the six first days of the week, and then feminine is about nurture. It's not about doing a specific, a specific action, it's just about, just about being. That's why a healthy relationship between mother, daughter and mother is where the daughter and the mother, they could just be with each other, not needing to do anything. Or, or any, uh, uh, the, the healthiest mother is where the mother already heals the family without doing anything. Just the mother is there, the kids feel the nurture of the mother, that's a healthy mother. Um, another, on the other hand, the father, if it's just there, it's useless, you know, he needs to be doing something. <laughs> that's not, not really black and white, but oh, more yeah. or less, as according to Kabbalah, the reason why um, femininity or, or, or the, the, the female energy um, is represented on Shabbat is because Shabbat is about nurture, is about being, is about being who we are, not about doing, not about um, any actions or performance. So we start off, Eshet uh, Chayil is this uh, song that we say to the, woman, to the woman or to the feminine energy. And since in Shavuot, as we mentioned, is basically the wedding of the Jewish nation and God, so we have that same relationship of the Jewish nation being the bride and God being the, the, the groom. And if we get to understand or if we get to analyze a little bit what this, what this uh, verse is saying, we'll understand something more on a macro level and something that we're able to apply and take to us even if someone is not married or um, if there's no woman in the house. But nevertheless, it has a personal meaning and that's why it should be sung every Shabbat. Um, everywhere. Okay. Um, as you can see, the way that this is structured, this booklet is, it's going to be as following. We're going to be, um, before explaining the booklet itself, I'm just going to give an introduction. So, Torah. Torah, everyone knows what the Torah is, five books of Moses. Um, but the Torah also goes beyond only the five books of Moses in the sense that it, it, the explanation and the, and the um, evolution, not really evolution, but the, well, the analysis that goes into Torah, that's also considered Torah, but it's not the five books of Moses. Those are commentaries, specifically the Mishnah and the Talmud, and goes all through generations. It was more analyzing and more getting more depth and more insights until not until, but in, in the last few generations, we got a very um, strong insights of what the Torah means from the talks of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to give every Shabbat, uh, mostly every Shabbat used to give talks, and used to teach, and used to inspire his followers and people around the world. Um, and, and what we're gonna do basically today is learn those talks, learn the talk of the Rebbe, but as well, we're going to go to the sources. So in the classical way that the Rebbe taught is that he didn't say that I'm going to give you a new insight and I'm going to blow your mind. But he rather brought together all the pieces from the Talmud and from the Mishnah and the verses 
and it made it look like, yeah, this is, you know, makes sense. Although he was at that time having a breakthrough in, in Jewish philosophy and Jewish action. So it's, um, the, the way it's going to be, um, you see it over here, hopefully we get to learn the whole thing. Um, that would be really, really cool to get, get to do it before uh, this class or for preparations for Shavuot. So we're going to see the sources, and that is basically either verses or, um, or the Talmud, and then we're going to see what the Rebbe has to say about it. So source number one, we're going to ask um, Aneta if you could start reading page number three. Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. A God-fearing woman is to be praised. That was source two? Yeah. So that's the, that's the verse that we mentioned at the beginning. The verse that we read at the end of the Shetchayl, and it says that, you know, you should be focusing on one thing. You should be focusing on a God-fearing woman. That is the attribute. That is, that is a, 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 um, a, a quality that is worth praising. Now, if you take, like most things in the Torah, if you just take translation, it might not make so much sense. Um, as is, is funny enough, because, interesting enough, because at the same Eshet Chayil, is the verse that we analyzed a few weeks ago. The verse goes, um, oh no, this is somewhere else, but nevertheless, it's pretty similar. The, the verse says, which means, who is a righteous woman? The one who does the will of the, of the husband. Now, if you take that translation in today's world, in today's um, um, generation, it won't fly. You know, you cannot, it's, not, it's not gonna become popular, it's not gonna go viral. But if you get the inside of it, it would make so much sense. And it's, it's all about how you read it. So it's not, Hasidic insight, it's not that the woman, a righteous woman is the one who's subjugated to the will of the husband. Because the word osa in Hebrew, it, it doesn't really have a straight translation in, in, in English. Could be, could be makes, but as well could be creates. So if we read it again, it's who is a righteous woman? The one who creates will in the husband. In other words, Sometimes you see the couple or you know someone, he, he, this guy was a party animal, you know, he was not sensitive, but then he gets married and the guy has changed. And he's like, transformed, another person. What happened to him? Well, he married a righteous woman. And when he's married a righteous woman, the woman has the power to influence the man in such a way that this transform the, transforms the man, transforms the husband. That the husband now has a whole new will, has a whole new interest, has a whole new sensitivity that he didn't have before. And when you see that couple, so I assure you that is a righteous woman. It takes a lot to, just to change people. You know, they, they already say when you get into marriage, don't think they're going to be able to change one another. That's never going to be, never going to turn up well. But if it happens, so there's a lot of credit there. So my point is that if we take it at face value, sometimes it doesn't make sense. That's why I need to dig deeper. We cannot just drop it and go somewhere else. There's nowhere else to go. There's no, um, I mean, there is other places, but it's not like the wisdom of the Torah. And this um, ultimately, Torah is the source of all the other wisdoms as well. So we're going to read what the Gemara has to say about this specific verse. Jeffrey, you want to read? Source number two. Charm is deceptive. This is a reference to the generation of Moses. And beauty is vain. This is a reference to the generation of Joshua. Alternatively, charm is deceptive. This is a reference to the generation of Moses and Joshua. And beauty is vain. This is a reference to the generation of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. A God-fearing woman is to be praised. This is a reference to the generation of Rabbi Yehuda, son of Rabbi Eli. 
who lived after the decrees of Hadrian, when the people were impoverished and oppressed. It was said about Rabbi Yehuda, son of Rabbi Eli, that six of his students would cover themselves with one garment due to their poverty, and nevertheless, they would engage in Torah study. So right from there, we see that, you know, it's not really, it's not, it's not literal only. It's not only referring about a woman, a, 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 a woman as a person. Maybe referring to stages in life, or maybe referring to stages in history, Jewish history. And as the Talmud says, that yeah, there was a generation of Moses, generation of Joshua, then we have the generation of Hizkiyahu, or Hezekiah, and the generation of Rabbi Yehuda bar Eloi. Rabbi Yehuda bar Rabbi Eloi, the son of Rabbi Eloi. What was the difference between all these three generations? So we have the generation of Moses and Joshua. That was a generation that they, they were people who experienced miracles. For people who, you know, they left Egypt, they saw the miracles happening in Egypt, they, um, they, they went through the, through the sea, they, they saw all the miracles happening in the desert, they got the manna from heaven, they, they experienced giving of the Torah. They had like all these revelations. Then we have generation of Joshua. The Joshua, they, they already didn't have um, a... a, a prophet like Moses, but nevertheless, Joshua was the one who entered the Jewish people into the Holy Land, and there were so many miracles. It just conquering Jericho was, they, they went around the city and the, the walls fell. I mean, they also experienced, they had major revelations. And the generation of Hezekiah was, although they didn't have miracles anymore, they didn't have uh, walls falling and crossing the sea, but nevertheless, they were victorious. It was a very glorious period of time in the Jewish history. It says that they, they, they had sages, they had proper sages, um, proper leaders, um, and they had a, a very prosperous um, time in Jewish history. And then, so, so what it, we're going to be categorizing this in three levels. We have the highest level, the medium level, and the lowest level. So what's the highest level? There is a, right, right in the Talmud, there is a, a, a debate. If it's only the generation of Moses, of Moses and Joshua. We're not really getting into it. We could leave it at either Moses or Moses and Joshua. Number two is the generation of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was, you know, peace in the land, not major miracles, but not major suffering. And then the lowest is, you had the generation of Rabbi Yudu Barabiloi, and that it says that they were so poor. This, this was after, just for you to have a context, this was after the, this was after the destruction of the, of the second temple, if I'm not mistaken. But basically there was, was decrees against, against learning Torah, against, um, was it about the same time? I don't know, Jewish people have been, um, a lot, so I'm not sure which one of which them. Which yeah. it was. Correct. But, um, <laughs> I, th I thought it was the time of Hanukkah, but Hanukkah was not Hadrian. I think it was after the, 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 the destruction of the second temple. Anyways, it was very challenging times. And let's go back to the verse. The verse says that chen, or charm, refers to the highest level. We have the second level that was beauty, refers to the middle level. And the lowest level which is um, God-fearing, or, or God-fearing, that is the lowest level in, in, in relations to the periods of, of Jewish history. Following everyone? Yeah? Okay. So this is the first verse. This is what the Talmud has to say. Let's see what the Rebbe has to say about this, um, about what the Talmud and the verse have to say. Um, 
Taylor? Taylor? Tyler. Tyler. Can you read that text? Uh, yeah, there's no text about the Rebbe, page three. The verse states, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. A God-fearing woman is to be praised. The sages ask, if Torah itself states that this is charming and beautiful, how can it also be true that it is deceptive and vain? Yeah, this is a typical question of the Torah, uh, of the Talmud, you know. It's not that someone else is stating that this is beautiful and charming. The Torah itself is the one who says this is beautiful and charming, and at the same time the Torah says, well, guess what? It's also deceptive and a lie. So, okay, that's number one. Continue. The sages explain that charm is deceptive and beauty is vain is an allusion to the generations of Moses and Joshua, and according to another opinion, also the generation of Hezekiah, king of Judah. A God-fearing woman is to be praised, the sages continue, is an allusion to the generation of Rabbi Yehuda bar Ilya, a period in which they faced severe anti-Jewish persecution and six students would cover themselves with one garment. Yeah, so this is just a, a summary of what we just read, but now the word is, is putting in. Continues. According to this interpretation, the common denominator between all these generations is a dedication to Torah study, and the different clauses in the verse correspond to different levels of Torah study. There are levels of Torah study referred to as charming, beautiful, and God-fearing, respectively. Thus, the sages say the first two levels of Torah study are considered deceptive and vain, while the third level is to be praised. This requires explanation. How can it be said that the Torah study in the generations of Moses and Joshua was deceptive and vain? Moses is the one who received the Torah at Mount Sinai, and his entire generation is known as the generation of knowledge. Yeah, so right away the Rebbe asks, there's something that's not aligning. Jo Moses and Joshua, Moses specifically, he's the one who gave the Torah to the Jewish people. He was not only a middleman, he was the one who was able, as any true leader, he's the one who's able to see their future or see the potential and translate it to the people. So Moses had the same ability. Moses was half God, half God of human, but he was a very spiritual person. He was actually able to hang out with the angels when he went up to get the Torah and stayed in his human body. Most people who hang out with angels never made it back, um, but Moses did. So, you know, he had this two, he was able to relate to both. He was able to relate to the angels and spirituality in the highest levels, but as well, he was able to relate to simple people in of the Jewish nation. So Moses is the one who gave the Torah to the Jewish people. So he understood the Torah better than anyone else. Um, and nevertheless, according to the Talmud, comes out that, that the level of, of, of deceptive, of shekel, of deceptive, is refers to the times of Moses. So how does that, how does that align? Question makes sense? Yeah? Everyone? No, please say it. Thank you. So we according to the to the to the Talmud comes out that the level of we we said there is three levels. There, there is the shakar, which is deceptive, there is um, there is a lie, then we have the level of um hevel, which is deceptive. Sorry. We have deceptive. Charm is deceptive, beauty is vain, and God-fearing woman is to be praised. So the first two, they're like mis disqualified. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is vain. 
The Talmud says, when the verse says the charm is deceptive, is talking about not specifically a person or a woman, it's talking about the times, the generation of Moses. And that they learned the Torah, what the learning of the Torah was a charm for them, it's deceptive. So the, the way they went about learning was Correct. something wasn't right about it. Correct. Okay. And then the generation of, of, of Joshua or, or Hizkiyahu, the according to the verse, also gets disqualified. It's, it's, uh, it's vain. It's not deceptive, it's vain, but as well gets qualified. And nevertheless, that's a, that was a generation where, um, where, where most of the Jewish people, they didn't need books. And other, what I mean is that the Torah was not written until, um, until about 1, 1,500 years after the Torah was given. All the commentary, all the explanation of the Torah, they only had the five books of Moses. And all the rest, people know by heart. People know how to read Hebrew was, you know, conversation, the table. That was uh, everyone understood. So they lived in an era where they didn't need books to learn Torah. And nevertheless, according to this verse, comes out that that type of learning Torah is still vain. It's not, it's, not really, it's not really valuable. It's still dismissed. But the third level that is worthy of praising, yeah, God-fearing God woman is to be praised, is talking about the time when they learned Torah, six people under one blanket. In other words, they didn't have even a blanket to share. But nevertheless, they were still learning Torah. So the question is, how come, how is it possible that the verse, according to the Talmud, dismisses the learning of Torah of the times of Moses and the times of Chizkiyahu, but validates or says that the only Torah that's worth praising is the one that is learned in times of poverty, which was not really comparable to the times of Moses. Yeah, I'm trying to think like what it would mean to learn Torah in the spirit of charm, like in the context of that word. And I'm thinking like maybe like to view it as something extra or like, you know, pretty, I mean, guess it's similar to beauty, like there's something not necessary, something like we like to look at it and it feels good to read it, but it's, but it's more about the idea and the feeling around it, not really the text itself or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think something more surface level. So you've been coming around, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You've been coming around to classes. <laughs> You're kind of like, yeah, nailing it. Okay. That's what the Rebbe is going to address. Um, he's going to address the difference between charm, beauty, and, 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 and God fear, and fear God, and how those apply. And now, then hopefully we'll wrap up all of what we're learning and everything will make sense. We'll be able to apply it to our life. But yeah, now the Rebbe is going to start. Charm, if you see page five, charm versus beauty, right there. To explain, charm is something that transcends logic. For example, the Talmud says that a place is charming to its residents, even, and even if it's bad, they see it as good. This is a natural phenomenon. A place is charming to its residents, even if they can't explain why. For example, the ones who live in New York. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've been there for many years. Uh... This is true regarding charm in general, and New York. <laughs> contrast, is something that can be explained logically based on its objective parameters. Yeah, so that's the difference between beauty and charm. There's rules of beauty, you know? If you want a good beauty contest, so you need to, certain measurements or certain um, characteristics that are required. There's a certain logic, there's a certain lines. There's no charm contest. How are you gonna measure that? How are you gonna measure charm? You know, you might find someone charming, but the other person, no, I, I don't like him. You know? So charm is something that is illogical. You can never really define that because by, by default is, is undefi un undefinable. Beauty, on the other hand, 
you can measure it. There's a certain logic to it. Although beauty as well, you know, what one likes doesn't necessarily mean that the other likes, there is that aspect of beauty as well. But regarding the contrast of charm and beauty, beauty has logic, charm doesn't have any logic. It's beyond logic. Source number three, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, uh, um, this is the source for, we're in the Talmud. Uh, regarding that charm is something that is beyond logic. It's basically the, the story about, um, about a people who lived in a, in, in, a, in, a, um, in a village and the water was contaminated, but they, they li liked living there. They found it charming. So the Talmud asked if the water was contaminated, so why was it charming? And the, and the Talmud concludes that charming doesn't really follow any pattern or any logic. Charming is beyond logic. Beauty, on the other hand, so it needs to have a certain standard or a certain um, characteristics. So we know, now we know, heading to that direction, that charm is something that is illogical. Beauty is something that is more logical. We don't have the full picture, but we're heading there. So what the Rebbe has to say about charming Torah, Torah study, page 7. There is a level of Torah study termed charming. This is the very great level of study achieved in the generation of Moses, when they studied with great passion and excitement, who were very successful in their studies. We are told the Torah was given specifically to those that ate from the manna. Nevertheless, we are told that the charm is deceptive. This refers to the generation of Moses. It is considered deceptive because it is charming. They studied Torah because it was charming. They recognized that it was, that it was charming in the eyes of God, and they therefore found it charming as well in a way which could not be logically explained. In fact, it would not be surprising, sorry, it would be surprising if they would not study Torah in that state of mind. Their study, therefore, wasn't something that permeated their entire being, which is the defining feature of truth, as opposed to deception. Yeah, starts making sense. It seems a little easy to judge people thousands of years later when it was their first go around studying Torah. What do you mean? Like. It, like when it says it, it wouldn't be it would be surprising if they would not study Torah in that state of mind, which I think that's kind of a fair thing to say, like kind of judgy to say they're judging it very, to say they're studying very superficially when we have the benefit of like. No. That doesn't mean very superficial. Moses didn't learn Torah superficial, but for people who experienced that sensitivity, for people who experienced that type of revelation, was was a no brainer. Beyond logic, was a no brainer to learn Torah. Of course, I'm going to learn Torah. I just saw God. I mean, if this is the way to connect. Thank you. <laughs> if this is the way to connect to God, of course, I'm going to learn Torah. And the way to learn Torah was way, the, the, the Talmud says, that the Torah was given for those who ate manna, meaning those who were the ones more appropriate to be learning. Those are the ones who were more um, attuned and sensitive to what the Torah has to say. It's not, not superficial at all. It's the other way around. They had the deepest level of learning. Then this is going way over my head. Anyone else? It's okay, though. Is no, 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 no. Like, start over. We'll, we'll, we'll no, 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 no. Please don't start over. What? Like God, someone no. that's like, I just walked to the sea. I just want to know more. Like, if I've seen we can, I we're changing, get into it. Like, we're changing the adjectives, I think, is part of the problem. If you change from deceptive to, uh, what was what you just used? Um, superficial? Superficial. Those are two different things. Yeah. Right. So we can't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think we can. I don't think we can describe the way that we're studying. Yeah, but I think if you say to move from deceptive to superficial, if something's deceptive, it's. Uh, and I still just don't understand how they're studying. Let's. I'll, I'll say. I'll say. Let's. Let's bring a. Let's bring an example. Uh, couple meets, 
and they fall in love. And they're really, really in love with each other and all the feelings, everything is flowing. And they get married. And the first year is, goes beautiful, you know? There's no, no drama, no fights, no discussions. Is that a successful marriage? <laughs> Too early to tell, right? So that was, let's make a pause. This is exactly what was happening in times of Moses. You're, you're saying like a struggle is, is part of success. It's truth. Because part of truth. Part, part of truth. Okay. It's truth. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for ah. truth. So in times of Moses, it was like the couple was in love. They just met. I mean, not just, but, you know, they, they got married at Mount Sinai. Oh, and they wow. were... And they were in love with each other. Like they, they didn't see any flaws. All the feelings. Was a no bra- of course I'm going to go out every week with my wife, you know? It's a no-brainer, you know? Of course we're going to take out the trash every day, you know? Those are like no-brainers. Why not? Because their tune and their line with each other is really, really strong. And that was, a, that was the, the generation of Moses. Would you call that a successful marriage? Would you call that, oh, that, that's the marriage I want to have, you know, or... or is that a successful marriage? Is, is that a marriage that will stand for a long time? You don't know. You don't know. It right. It could be deceptive. could be deceptive. This is exactly Because me it's insincere. You can Not find at all. out. And it's very deep. Right. But it might be deceptive, you know, because... You can find out he didn't pay his taxes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he owes money to the IRS. <laughs> you never know. Like, truth, truth should disrupt you. Like, truth is something that you, you should wrestle with. There. It shouldn't be... Truth shouldn't be charming always. It shouldn't be. I don't. Th- I don't think truth shouldn't be. But I think that truth cannot be um, proved until there is a real challenge. Uh, okay. Until the couple is struggling with X, Y, Z, and then nevertheless they stay with each other and they don't just you know okay let's file a divorce and you know move yeah. on, but affront the challenge and both of them, in the challenge and they go through the challenge, then you look at them and I'm like oh that's a successful marriage. Truth can survive. That is true. Truth will survive tests. If, if it's truth. If yeah. it's not truth, yeah. so then, you know, and that's why it's very important to marry Jewish. Because marry Jewish is the only, the only reason for marriage is if, 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 it's, uh, if it's compatible, if it's a soulmate. It's to have truth in the marriage. Two people like each other, it's not a basis for marriage. Year goes by, two years goes by, then you have to, like, you know, attach things. Oh, we should be still connected because we both like our puppies, you know. Or even deeper reasons. Whatever it is, we both like tennis. There's, both there's no deeper reasons. <laughs> yeah, in this side of town, there's no deeper reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, nowadays, you know, with technology, you could clone puppies. I don't know if that's uh, acceptable or that's not. That's less charming. That's less charming. Okay, it's deceptive. It's deceptive charm. Um, you know, instead of trying to find reasons why to stay connected, we have a truth. It's a soulmate. You know, there, there's no... There's no challenge that is going to challenge that connection. That's why it's so important to marry Jewish. Because if, if, if the marriage is not Jewish, so there's, no, there's no basis for the marriage. And anything that comes around, yeah, it might, it might, it might, it might um, take this whole thing apart. But we kind of like went ahead with, with, with what the, the, the point of the, of the Rebbe's talk is. And it's basically comparing that, that charm on that stage of the Jewish people and God being in love with each other and being so attuned with each other it's still deceptive, you know, because it really, was really early to know. Um, and that's why the learning of the Torah for them was a no-brainer, um, because, because they were so attuned and so in love with each other that all the emotions and all the, it was a no-brainer to be um, doing what Hashem wanted or to be learning God's Torah.
Okay. Um, so the question is, Jeffrey said, so what is truth? Why are you laughing? Don't ask me that. No, no, I said that you asked. It's like you brought oh, up about okay. truth. <laughs> I mean, if you had to answer it, I would rather know, but no? no? Idea. Okay, no idea. okay, so let's see what the Rebbe has to say about truth. It's about Torah. We mentioned this two weeks ago, but, um, uh, but we'll go through it again. Okay, uh, um, Zach. Uh, what page, go? I'm sorry. Page 8. What is truth? The Jerusalem Talmud states that the word, the letter Aleph is the first of the alphabet. Before, letter, before we go ahead, you could see on the top of the page is the whole Hebrew alphabet. The Aleph, Bez, Gimel, Aleph. Ah, Emet. Yeah. For truth. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. That's and really you know, deep. Wow. Keep dropping her head. No, I don't The letter Mem is the middle and the Tav is the final letter. This alludes to God's omnipresence. I am first, the first letter, I am last, the last letter. And there is no God other than me, the middle letter. Wherever we turn, there is only one thing. God's seal is truth. Amen. As it relates to our topic, how can we determine that a person's involvement in Torah is true? When it is in the form of I am first and I am last, the first, the, his head first, heart middle, and feet last, are all an entity of Torah. And he occupies himself with Torah not only in times of peace, but under all circumstances, from the best, the first letter, to the worst, the final letter, and everything in the middle. This could not be assessed in the generation of Moses, when Torah study was charming. Without the need to compel oneself to study, the head, which controls the entire body, felt the need to study Torah passionately and to be a Torah entity. We cannot say regarding such a state that it is to be praised, and it can't be called true, something that will remain consistent without change. It hasn't been tested, so we can't know how they would act if the circumstances would be different. The potential exists, but it hasn't yet been expressed because the opportunity hasn't yet arose. Yeah, so emet, truth, could only be proved once you get to the last letter of the alphabet, or once you get to the last stage of the relationship, or, or to the end of the story. Then is when you could re retroactively figure it out if it was emet or not. That doesn't mean that you have to wait till the end to start looking for truth, but truth is proven once it finishes. Once, it, it always, at all stage, it has the same value. So at the times of Moses, it was like the Aleph. It was the beginning. The beginning, you can never really prove anything. It was too early to tell. The honeymoon phase. It was the honeymoon so phase. You yeah. go through anything. <laughs> Correct. So you yeah. can have truth, but can you have trust? So trust, um, trust, you should have trust from the beginning. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you cannot have truth. It says that truth could only be proven retroactively when it doesn't change. You, you could Aleph could, but times of Moses was was real truth also, but that didn't really set the tone for the relationship of Jewish people and Hashem. The relationship was not a, was not challenged. So it's like the beginning of the marriage. Yeah, we're sure we're a beautiful couple, beautifully married. But those aren't challenges, so we cannot really test the the the, 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 the that relationship or that marriage. And on the other hand, one, once the challenge comes around and they're still married, 
so that just shows that the honeymoon was, was, was true. It was not just people having fun together, but was really true of marriage. As opposed to if something challenge comes around on, you know, that doesn't work out. So you, you question it. doesn't mean that it's not true, but you question the honeymoon. Like, was there, was there foundation proper? Was there a real marriage or just having fun together or whatever it is? Um, okay, so that is, that is um, um, regarding, the, regarding the, the generation of, of, of Moses. Uh, ben, you want to read? And the same goes with the second level. We read chen, which is charm. We said that is vain. Um, charm is deceptive. And now we're going to learn about the second level or the middle level, which is the generation of Joshua. And we said that uh, the charm and beauty. And beauty is vain. Yeah, thank you. Ben, you want to go ahead? Sure. Beautiful study. Similarly, with regard to the generation of Joshua, beauty is vain alludes to the generation of Joshua. During the generation of Joshua, after the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, godliness wasn't revealed in the way it was in the desert when they ate from the manna, drank water from the well of Miriam, had their clothes washed by the clouds of glory, and were protected from all the harmful and negative elements, all of which openly demonstrated their close connection with God. The generation of Joshua can't be said to have experienced charm, an attitude that is completely beyond logic and explanation, because immediately upon entering the land of Israel, the manna ceased. As the verse states, the manna ceased when they ate from the grain of the land. In order to experience godliness, they needed to invest effort, contemplate, etc. So in other words, they were, they were having regular, regular life like we had. Not exactly like us, but we're going to see now. But, you know, they weren't having manna anymore. They had to plow, they wanted to read, they had to work. They had a... How do we, something that we are more re- re- relate to? I have a question about that. Yeah. So we talked about in the first section how they studied Torah passionately, right? Like it just came naturally, like it was a part of their existence, right? Yeah. So by not having act easy or by not having mana anymore or anything like that, does that mean that it was no longer passionate study? That it was not as accessible or not as well, like obvious, just, like just there, they had to really work. Is that that's kind of the correlation of like what it mean, what it meant to really work for it? Yeah, just for the for, you know they had in the times of Moses, they were like you know like in college, you don't worry about your food. Someone's gonna make yeah. food. You don't worry. Not like more um, specifically in yeshiva. In yeshiva, guys sit down and learn Torah. They're not worrying who. That's their only responsibility. Correct. The only responsibility is to learn, and that was like kind of like the times of Moses. They were in the desert. God Someone private everything. They were like in, in yeshiva, but then they went to the land of Israel, and then they were like, "Oops, now we have to like, get a job." You know, <laughs> 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 now the challenge starts. You know, I have to provide for the family. So that doesn't mean that um, that they were not learning or they were not as passionate, but just for the standpoint of providing for the family, they were plowing the field. They didn't have enough time to learn as the people, mm-hmm. or or just the you know they had to like think through or set times or have a schedule was not as obvious as the times of Moses. That's the generation of Joshua or the generation, according to the other opinion, the generation of of, of Hezekiah. Okay, continue. On the other hand, when they did contemplate, they saw godliness. They saw that throughout the life of Joshua and the elders that outlived him, during which the Jewish people served God, God's blessings were apparent. They saw clearly that when they studied Torah and obeyed God's word, the walls of Jericho fell. They needed to invest some effort. The armed people are to pass before God's ark. 
but the walls miraculously fell as the result of them circling with the ark and blowing the shofar, as related in detail in the book of Joshua. The same is true regarding the conquest of the rest of the land and everything that happened during the seven years of conquest and seven years of dividing the land, and continued until the end of the era of Joshua and the elders. So while there wasn't charm, which transcends logic, during the generation of Joshua, there was still beauty. Yeah, so this is the first year after the honeymoon. So, you know, they're into their routines, and they're still, like, feelings are strong, and, 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 and things they're already, they didn't forget about the honeymoon, and they're still looking back at the pictures, and, you know, Google shows them, oh, a year ago, you know, you were here, whatever. So, you know, they have all that happening, but at the same time, they're not in vacation, they're not in honeymoon anymore, they have their day job, they have their schedule, they have their things happening, taken care of. Um, so, it was not as no-brainer as the generation of Moses was way more settled in the generation of Joshua. But at the same time, their sensitivity was much greater. They had a, 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 their alignment to, to learning Torah and their sensitivity to learning Torah wasn't as taken as we're going to see further on in the generation of Rabbi Yudah Rabbi Loi, and that compares to our generation. I don't understand how the beauty, what does beauty to do with this not honeymoon stage anymore? Sorry again? How, what does the beauty, you know, what does it do with this not honeymoon stage anymore? Like, where does it... So beauty is, yeah. according, beauty to, here, yeah. according to what the standards that we said before, or according to the, not standards, but the terms that the rabbit that we said before, that what is beauty and what is charm. So we said that charm is something that is beyond logic. It's a no-brainer. So the couple are getting along together. The Jewish people were learning Torah in the times of the desert. It's a no-brainer. Of course, it would be doing it. Beauty, it has a certain standard. It has a certain characteristic, certain measurements, certain colors, whatever it is that you know it takes to, to, to fall into that mold or that box of beauty. So it has a certain logic. It's not like a no-brainer anymore. It's like the Jewish people in the land of Israel, they, they had a certain... Um, uh, uh, there, it was very logical that they had to work and they had to learn Torah it wasn't like a no-brainer anymore, but at the same time, it was like in, it's in between stages. It was the middle stage that is not totally blown away by the miracles of God, but at the same time, they're not totally being challenged by their work and their job because they were living peacefully. They're actually conquering all the cities in Jerusalem. So they were being victorious. They were being inspired all the time. Make sense? Yeah. Are you following? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay, so now we're going to see there, uh, page 11, um, what the Rebbe has to say about it. Ben. Okay. There is also a form of Torah study that isn't related to charm or beauty, but rather fear of God. This is what the verse is referring to when it says, a God-fearing woman without charm or beauty is to be praised. As the sages interpreted it, this refers to the generation of Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Eli, a generation of persecution in which six Torah scholars would wrap themselves in one garment and study Torah. Such a person has no explanation for his Torah study. He doesn't see godliness, heaven forbid. He has a tradition from his ancestors, but he doesn't witness God's presence himself. Yeah, this is actually this talk was, the Rebbe said it. When the Rebbe said it, what we're gonna see in the next paragraph. Um, okay, before we go ahead, the Rebbe is saying that the third level of God-fearing is where the connection, or that is when the challenge kicks in, and we nevertheless show that the connection is still there. 
that is when the couple is going through the really tough challenge, but they, they have a, a commitment of being married to each other. They have a greater picture that's happening here. It's not only about their particular life. So they're able to go through it. Same thing is with, with, uh, with the God-fearing woman. It's not only talking about a woman, it's talking about stage in Jewish history, but it relates to us as well. This is, this is what we're going through. This is where the times that we're living through is the times of God-fearing. We don't see godliness. We're not even in the land of Israel. We don't walk on the, you know, on, 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 see like walls falling or, or um, if walls are falling, stay away. Um, <laughs> but we don't see like miracles or, or godliness just so no brainer for us. It's challenging. We go out and there's, there, I don't know, there's you know, good food and, you know, and, and, and parties and other stuff that we're interested in. So now is the life or the, the we're not also blessed and, and grateful that we're not, you know, sharing one blanket, six people. We are in a much prosperous country and we need to be thankful and we need to be acknowledging the, the, that we're living in, a, in a such a, we have it really good in, here in America specifically to be a Jew, specifically in, in, in today's month, we need to be proud of being Jewish because it's all about who we are and being proud. So we're openly proud here in America, something that Soviet Union or even um, other countries, even today, you know, people are hesitant. Maybe I should not wear my keep in public. Maybe I should, you know, um, I don't know, do X, Y, Z to hide my Judaism. So that's number one. And, and, and that was the Rebbe's saying, is that that third level that the Talmud says that refers to the lowest generation or the generation that they were just learning, they had no inspiration or they had no um, 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 influence or, or, or revelation, but they nevertheless did it because it was something greater. There was a commitment happening. That is what is worth praising. And what it does is that validates, doesn't mean that this one is worth praising and not the others. What it does is that now that this one is worth praising, so that validates that the, 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 the beauty and that the, and that the charm, that all of that is also valid. So it's not one and not the others, but it's only once I have the God-fearing woman, once I have this level of challenge and never let's say do it, so that really gives value to the beauty and to the charm and as well to all the, all the other phases. When the couple goes through the challenge and, and you know, the. They, 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 succeed, they succeed or they go over the challenge, they go to the other side. So now that the value that when they look back at the pictures of the honeymoon or, or, or the first year of marriage, suddenly has a whole other meaning, has a whole other meaning, a meaning of truth, a meaning of connection that it would never had before the challenge. And that is where we are holding now in, 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 in history. Yeah, the Rebbe says he was talking to specifically people who left the Soviet Union. And, and, and in the Soviet Union itself, Chabad or the Chabad movement, they were really, really head to head with the, with the, with the government. They were really head to head with the, with the KGB and, 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 and the Yitzhaksia and, and all of the parties that wanted to eradicate Judaism and just make more comrades um, with no meaning. So um, Chabad movement were one of the movements who said, no, we're taking up this fight. And the fact that today they are you know, all over the world, it's an attitude that they've been having Chabad leaders, Chabad rebbeim, that have been having since hundreds of years already. That we're not, you know, in, in Russia was not, it was not so much a PR. Actually, they had to stay away from any PR because <laughs> sadly, a lot of them just got picked up from the street and never saw again. 
Um, went to Siberia for many years. Um, actually, I have my wife, Shelbel. She has a grand, great-grandfather. That his, his real name is Abraham Drizin. It's his name, legal name. Now, he was from the city of Mayor. So he was nicknamed Avram Mayor. Like, I don't know, maybe from Argentina, or whatever, something like that. Um, and and he, was, he was really, really involved in the underground schools and teaching Judaism and, you know, uh, being active about being Jewish. And he was being always persecuted for years. Um, one time it says that the KGB was so many times so close to apprehend him and miraculously he like, was able to escape. Um, it says that one time they actually got him and uh, they, they said, um, Avram Ayor, you're coming to jail because of all the crimes that you committed. And he was like, I'm Avram Drizin. <laughs> and Avram Ayor, he took out his passport. Avram Ayor, Avram Drizin, okay, let him go. And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't funny for him, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, in other words, we have it really good. And the Rebbe was telling basically these people, and oh, the message is for us as well. You know, Shavuos is coming around, giving of the Torah. There's a new energy. There's a new level of spirituality coming to the world. And we might think that, you know, okay, learning Torah, there's so many reasons why it should not be doing it. So many challenges that come in the way of us and learning Torah or us and connecting. And we might think that, you know, it's so challenging. It's not even worth if I learn Torah this way. You know, if, if I learn Torah, I'm going to take a gap year, I go to Israel, sit in the, Holy, in the Holy Land, in the Old City, then I'll be able to get to learn some Torah. Well, this is exactly what the verse is saying. You know, the Torah that you learn when you're comfortable and when you are, and when, you are and, and, and when everything is charming and when it's a no-brainer that you're going to learn Torah, it's valid. But if you want to really, really, it, it's deceptive. If you really, really want to learn Torah, is like in the middle of the week when... Busy week, nevertheless, you carve time out of your schedule to learn Torah, and despite the challenge, you, you take that action, you take that commitment, take that connection, so that validates all retrospectively that all of the reasons, all, or every time that it was a no-brainer to learn Torah is not only valid, but is, is, is worthy of praising because even when it's challenging, we also learn Torah. Mm. It's not only when it makes sense for us. Even when it doesn't make sense, we still learn Torah. Quick question. Yeah. So when it's saying God fearing, is that kind of like synonymous with just belief in God? Like the God fearing, the fearing aspect of it is like can as you opposed to it? God loving. Sounds negative. Yeah. Sounds negative. Yeah, it sounds no? really yeah, negative totally. to me. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually, actually, when I was learning, I, I they say God yeah, fearing. God yeah. God fearing yeah. woman. I feel like it's yeah. like just like I believe in God, so like I know I should study. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's kind of like how I'm interpreting it. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Sorry, that, what, what you said last? So, like... I think, I think a lot of young Jews, Reformed Jews, are uncomfortable with the phrase God-fearing. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I actually, when I was preparing, I was like, oh, I hope no one asks this question. Sorry. <laughs> 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 so, thank you. I love, I love when this happens because it challenges me. Um, now, according to Kabbalah, when it comes to love and fear, we have like a, 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 a negative connotation to fear. But do you have a professor that you really admire, but you keep distance, or someone in your life that you really admire, but you keep distance? You could relate to anyone like that? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the type of fear that is talking about God. So like respect. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's not a fear. Oh. I mean, there is, there is, oh, correct. There is, there is, there is levels of fear. Actually, Maimonides, he writes down, he, he says that the levels of fear, or no, actually, Maimonides writes the levels of love. But it, it also applies to levels of fear. Maimonides writes that when a kid is young, you give him a candy and you say, you know, if, um, um, even, even, even before that, when, when, when after the, the, the boy is turning three years old, it's usually a, a time for education. And um, a lot of people have the custom of giving the, the boy a haircut and leaving the payas. So it's, it's a, and, and also wearing a yarmulke and putting a keep on the boy. It's an it's a education time for the boy where he sees that change and, and takes him a certain sense of responsibility or regrowth. Um, that's why if you ever wonder why my son is still with his hair, it's because soon he'll be three and then all of you guys are gonna be invited to the haircut ceremony. And that's why also a lot of people confuse him by a girl. But, you know, nowadays, it's okay. You know? We're not sure, so... We don't get offended. Um, but the reason is because... Um, oh, so my mother... Oh, so when, when the ceremony, when they cut the hair, one of the things that they do is that they put honey on, on a book with Torah letters, and they give him to lick from the honey. Um, so that is, like, very... Um, it's a custom, it's not like a mitzvah, um, but that's a way that, that according to Maimonides, that he writes that in order to make him familiar with, or to make him um, a, a, a positive association with the book, and not next time they open a book, he like runs away and grabs the tablet, uh, we'll open a book, oh, you know, this is, let's see if there's any more honey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably all, the, all this glued and sticky now, but whatever. Um, that's a very low, low level of love to God, you know, but that's the start level. And then when he grows older, you teach him about you know, the morals and the values and when he grows older until he's able to really understand why it's important to learn Torah for the meaning of it and for the responsibility and for your, your um, impact in the world. Same applies to fear. Fear, it's not like one way of fear and that's it. There is a way of fear of getting hit and that's the lowest fear or a, a, a fear of, of a consequence. That's like the lowest fear that, that could be. Uh, but then there is a, a, like more levels of fear, and one of them is, is, is awe, is a fear of, of respect. That it's not a matter, it's not a, it's not a negative connotation, it's actually a positive connotation. Because the bigger or the more greater that person is, a bigger fear or awe you're going to have towards it. So when it says a God-fearing woman, it doesn't mean that, uh, that, that, you know, that, this, this is getting, um, that, the, that the husband is getting... Um, um, suffer the consequence of not taking the trash out. You know, it's not, it's not that type of fear that we're talking about. God-fearing woman is, is a woman that has that level that, that not only herself, but other people are in awe of this person. It's almost like an, uh, it's like intimidation out of respect. It's like you, you meet someone that you really, or you're, you're in a room with someone that you really, really respect, and it's almost like, oh, I'm so intimidated by them, or like, you know, okay, yeah. that kind but of But intimidated also could be like but not like a negative a, not, But yeah, but in this case, I would say it's more of like the positive, like you mentioned, the respect of the awe, the, the positive fear, right. I guess, not the negative. It, it feels like a temporal distinction, like all of these do, right? Like if you think about like charm as something related to the past, like this happened and therefore like it makes sense that we continue here and beauty is a thing that's regimented, like we do this because it's how it affects now. That fear, I would say, like, is about consequences, but not necessarily negative consequences. We do this because we know about this thing in the future, or we want 
this thing in the uh -huh. future. I don't know if that aligns. Um, it, it has that aspect as well, but although also charm has an has a aspect of future and fear has an aspect of past. So mm. I would not define sure. it only that way, but they for sure have all what you're saying. Each one of them has, has an aspect like this. Um, so so when, it, when, when we say about fear, it's, it's not a negative thing. At least it shouldn't be a negative thing. And, 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 and circling back to our learning of Torah is that... Although we, we don't really understand and we don't really know, but we, we, we are aware of the importance or we are aware of the commitment. And that's why we're really not, and that's why we really take really close to home and we act on that. We act on that awe, we act on that commitment, and we still learn Torah even though when it's challenging. Or when the couple acknowledges that they're in awe of, 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 um, of marriage. You know, marriage is something to be in awe. It's such a powerful union, it's such a powerful. Um, um, for personally, community impacting the world, but if the people are in awe of marriage, so then, although the feelings might not be there anymore, nevertheless, they'll be able to go ahead with the challenge. But once the awe of the respect for the marriage falls apart, so then you have to like pull strings of how to connect these two people. Um, okay. On a, a different note, you mentioned earlier that Moses received um, the Torah on Shavuot. How did he do that if the story of the Torah goes beyond Shavuot? It's a great question. So um, what I'm going to do is we're going to close. We're going we're gonna to wrap up over here. You could take this home and read the rest. But that is the point. And that is the, 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 what the Rebbe is, is saying. Or the, the, the point of the Sikha is that we're basically living a time where there is no, where there is no revelations. We don't have any inspiration from above we have it doesn't mean that there's no inspiration but we have to make the effort we have to look for the inspiration actually only uh, yesterday there was a beautiful woman's circle here a beautiful woman in Zement. Um, really and say and you were here also right mm -hmm. and, and Elizabeth <laughs> so we had a really good crowd and uh, one of the things that for me is is like you know a, a, a glimpse of godliness is um, so Carol, she said the story yesterday, mm -hmm. but the reason how she got connected in the community, and she has a whole group of friends now, like a whole <laughs> subsection. We're together most of, of the week. Correct. <laughs> Not that I can say more about that. That started off by a post of, of a flower last year on Instagram or Facebook, and, and Carol was like, oh, what is this? And now she has a whole community. So for me, that is like, it's, 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 it's beyond logic. I mean, although you could explain it well, algorithm, whatever, but I take it that way. I choose to see this as something that is godliness. And, and, and Shavuot is coming around. We should take commitment of learning Torah. We should take a commitment to adding a learning Torah and making it not only a, a, in our schedule, but to make it, in, sorry, not only in our calendar, but to carve it in our being of who we are. You know, we always eat breakfast every morning. We have the coffee. We don't, doesn't really fit a schedule. Oh, if it, after nine, I don't have a coffee anymore. <laughs> we have a coffee. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's like engraved in us. So the same way has to be Torah. It has to be engraved that doesn't matter what day it is of the week. We need to be in touch. We need to be learning. Um, that's what I want to mention about uh, tomorrow. Not tomorrow. We're going to have a first Friday. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be uh, Israeli themed. So we're going to have uh, food, and we're going to have, uh, um, hopefully, Neta. Israeli... Neta's going to be coming? <laughs> I'm going to another Shabbat with Carol, actually. Oh, okay. See, there you we're go. Having a Israeli competition. Thing, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I really wanted to come, but I'm... 
Um, we have, but, but guess what? You know what's the beauty thing? That we have um, over 70 people signed up and most of the names I don't recognize. So, That's really um, good. Most of them what? He doesn't names, recognize, recognize. Either I like, really forget fast or, <laughs> or people or, or actually no people. So that is amazing. Um, the community is really growing fast. So Shabbat, um, that's going to be tomorrow night. Then Sunday brunch. We're going to have Sunday, the giving. We're going to read the Ten Commandments. And that is the day where we re-experience the giving of the Torah. Although Torah we learn every day, but Shavuot has a special energy, and that's the celebration. It's going to be 11.30. We're going to start with the reading of the Ten Commandments upstairs in the sanctuary, and then we're going to have a brunch for young adults. You don't want to miss that either. We're going to have mimosas and, and bagels and lox and, and cheesecake, all the great stuff. Um, and what else? You had me at cheesecake. <laughs> I ate so many slices at the New Moon Women's event. <laughs> there was so much left. Over. I was weak. It was so good. There was so much left over. I thought more about you guys, but anyway. <laughs> um, and the last thing I want to say is, oh, um, Saturday night there's a costume of staying up learning Torah all night. Why? That's the costume. Come, we'll find out. Um, so at around Water 11 Ranger. p.m., we're gonna have learning. <laughs> And, you know, we're going to be our old nighter. We're going to be partying the whole night with the books. <laughs> so Saturday night Somebody party, guys. Um, that's, yeah, those are the three things. And it's, um, it's, it's worth connecting. That's worth connecting. It's, it's, if you're Jewish, you have to connect. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's what you do as Jewish people. But going back to the question that Ben just said. It's a great question. So we're celebrating Shavuot, correct? And we're celebrating the giving of the Torah. But... What exactly happened in, in, in the giving of the Torah they were celebrating? Was that Ten Commandments, or was it, the, or was it something else? Or was it, um, it depends did, did on the how scroll? the Torah was defined at the time versus how it evolved over time. So that's, oh, maybe everything was given there, but just one was written and one not. Sure, speaking. maybe. What? Isn't God speaking? So yeah, so actually let's... Six is that'll take ten minutes, but it'll give a very good understanding in Jewish history. Just give me a second. I really like what you said about like charming about the past. Like that's what I was thinking about. I was like, I was thinking about like my the house I grew up in. Like it's not beautiful by any standards. It's like small and dilapidated yeah. and like torn down, but it's charming because of like my emotional connection to it, like the sentiment. It's like it's not beautiful. Is it? So it's like a different logic. So I think you're onto something with like the past and the future. Um, I'm, I'm glad that it eliminated something for you. Yeah. <laughs> Pass this around. By the way, you could keep these calendars. I feel like I'm about to get one of these in the mail soon. Yeah. You might. I mean, that's going to be. I always do. I always love a good calendar. It's going to be 2022. This is this year. Yeah. Oh, I already have this one. Okay. Okay. So let's go to. Let's go to February, March, August, June, May. Let's go to June, June 5th. Nathan Fisher's birthday. What? Mazel tov. June 5th. Everyone got June 5th? Yeah. 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 June 5th, we're celebrating Shavuot. We're celebrating the day that the Torah was given. What does that mean? Specifically, is when God said the Ten Commandments. The whole Jewish nation gathered at the footsteps of the Mount Sinai, and God revealed himself. He 
he spoke to the nation the Ten Commandments. And that was the celebration. Now, there was no physical, there was nothing, um, there was no like anything given over to the Jewish people yet. But after the Ten Commandments happened, so at the next day, it says that Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days in order to bring down the tablets. So if you ever wondered who was the first person to download data on a tablet in the cloud, it was Moses. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Um, so Moses went up at the next day following um, the, the, when God spoke to the Jewish nation. He went up for 40 days. Yeah? So let's count 40 days since 6th of Sivan. Where, where did we land to? Mm -hmm. Which one, yeah? The 15th. 17th. We, we need 40 to count. Or 42? No, 40, but we need to start counting from the 7th, I think. Ah, from uh, that, well, that case, it's yeah, 16th. What happened the 17th of Tammuz? That well, is, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna happen. <laughs> 17th of Tammuz is a fast day, so actually, you see in the calendar that since it's Shabbat, so it gets pushed over to Sunday. So, the 17th of Tammuz, as you see in, in the Sunday, you know, fast begins at 5 a.m. and fast ends at 9 p.m. That is when basically 40 days after the receiving of the Ten Commandments, Moses came down with the tablets and saw that they were doing idolship. Yeah. So Moses broke the tablets and there was no warranty. So that's why it's a fasting day. Just like if you drop a C-door, yeah. Well, well, if you drop the Torah. The Torah. The Torah. Yeah. So then the Torah you have to fast. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Oh man, that's crazy. It's 40 days. Why the number 40? That's a whole other Kabbalistic explanation. But nevertheless, 40 days after receiving of the Torah, Moses came back and had to break the tablets. So what happened after that? There was like a cleansing happening in the community. They had to kill a few people, whatever. And then the 18th, <laughs> next, let's keep all those who, all those who introduced um, the negativity had to be taken out. Um, so the 19th of Tammuz, Moses goes up again for 40 days trying to convince God to pardon the Jewish people. So count 40 days. Mm -hmm. Where do we get? You're getting too fast. <laughs> 40 days, God, Moses is convincing God to please pardon the Jewish people. Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh, correct. Yeah. With the beginning, the month of Elul. So after the 40 days or the second 40 days, God says, okay, I will. Let's start mm -hmm. the process again. And they start counting another 40 days. So the third set or the third time they count 40 days, where does it land? The calendar is over. No way. <laughs> oh, we're five days away. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, but I think it's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah already happened. Oh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. There you go, Emmy. So basically, the Yom Kippur is the day of forgiveness because this is what happened when God gave the Torah. God forgave the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. They were forgiven in the day of forgiveness, which is Yom Kippur. And that's the source of Yom Kippur being 
celebrated them. Not only because, you know, it's close to Rosh Hashanah and we could just make a whole package out of the high holiday season. That also works, but this is the main reason why it's the, why is the, um, why is the, um, Yom Kippur is a forgiveness day. And Yom Kippur is when God, when Moses came down again with the second set of tablets. In other words, with the tablets that wasn't given from God, but Moses had to himself write. And God introduced a spirit, and then is when Yom Kippur happened. So, for to your question, what happened on, on, on Shavuot? Shavuot was the Ten Commandments, and 40 days later, we fast because the, those tablets were destroyed. 40 days later, Moses finally convinces God to reevaluate his decision, and 40 days later, we celebrate Yom Kippur because we're forgiven and the second Torah was given. But let's not go all the way to high holidays. We have Shavuot coming, and let's just tap into, tap into the energy of Shavuot. L'chaim, everyone. L'chaim. L'chaim.